Technology. My name is Guthrie. I am here with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi, Guthrie. And uh, what is our topic today? Well, you know, we picked today to talk about the ROI of UX, lots of letters. So the return on investment of doing user experience work. This is an interesting, this is a topic we, um, we get asked about a lot. This is this is a really popular topic, and and it's it, I think it's kind of interesting to us because, you know, we've given a webinar on it. I've written white papers on it in the past, and and so in my head, it's like okay, it's all done. You know, we've done it. We've talked about it, but it never <laughs> ceases to be of interest to people, and I and I think I know why that is too. So anyway, I we, which we can talk about, but I figured. All right, if it's going to be that popular, and we haven't done a podcast episode on it, we should do that. So, um, return on investment. Yeah. Sounds businessy. Yeah, it does sound businessy, which I think is one reason why some people kind of find it intimidating. But the basic idea. And it's idea, an acronym. Huh? It's an acronym, too. It is, yeah. It's scary. So, so I think that. You know, it's interesting. Like, like there, if something is here's here's my take on it. If something is really widely accepted, then you don't have to go around talking about what is the return on investment of doing this thing. So I know that um, I used to get frustrated because you know I would be asked, well, you know, should we really be doing this? user experience or UX work in order to make the product, you know, more usable or, you know, whatever we were working on. And and often, especially in a large organization, uh, sometimes even in a small one, you know, someone would ask, well, you know, is it worth it? Should we be spending the money? What's the ROI? And I always felt like saying, you know, have you asked what is the ROI of doing the programming? Because, you know, it's like, why are we questioning this? You know, we don't question everything um, about about putting out a product why do you question this part to me it always was a sign that there were some people in the organization who didn't feel the UX work um, whether that is you know the UX design or spending time to make sure you know the products easy to use or whether it was doing user testing at the end or whatever it is they they just didn't see it as of value and worthwhile so, to me. That's so, that's that. I always thought that's one reason, one reason why people would be asking for this. So let's put this in context, especially. Um, and I'm going to put on my little, uh, my little, you know, uh, business. I'm at a conference now. I'm at a business conference. Um, on, on, you're on, you're on a panel. This you're not really panel. at a business conference. I'm at a, yeah, you're, you're, I'm at a business conference right now. That's a lie. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, yeah. Team. You're saying hypothetically. Yeah. Okay. So, Doctor Weichink, how would you yes. how would you frame this, especially in terms of an agile development world? Okay, I don't even want to go there. Okay. Uh, no, and but, I do uh, want. Okay, but we we can circle back. <laughs> I only wanted to bring it up because, yeah. um, I think there is a difference between how you look at budgets and how you get return on investment. And often, when you're working in a company with a team, budgets are, projects are on this project basis. So what is the project, the, 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 the you know, the, the cost to do this pro- the project? Yeah. And what's, and then how much do you make out of it? And so, a lot of when you're when you're just doing the short-term calculations of ROI, there's there's the first part, which is, you know, let's say maybe we get more clicks, right? And so after six months, we'll have more clicks, which will lead to more checkouts, which mean more money. Yeah. Right. So okay, we have a, so if we do UX, then we'll get more clicks, and that's good because we can put a number on that. But. Um, our argument often is you need to look at a longer uh, on a longer scale well and and to me actually you know i don't think what you're talking about really is getting very clear 
essentially on how you're going to do your return on investment calculation. It can be short term, it can be long term. And I do think it's useful. I do think it's useful for a team, especially to have a discussion about how would we measure the success of the UX work so that you can focus in on what are, you know, I mean, again, another fancy phrase, key indicators, you know, what, but, but really you're asking, how do we define success in terms of the quality of the user experience for this product? And I think that's a great conversation to have, even if you didn't have to, you know, let's say you had unlimited budget and you didn't have to calculate the ROI because you're trying to convince someone to, to do the UX work. It's still useful to, to talk about, and 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 I think it's interestingly one of the things that either doesn't get discussed or doesn't. If it is discussed, the answers are not necessarily passed on to the UX people. So if you're on a project and you're doing, you know, you're responsible for the UX of the project, do you know whether it's more important? to have a short-term show like the number of clicks or a reduction in the amount of abandonment at an e-commerce shopping cart um, or you know is it is success measured in a reduction in the number of phone calls or chat messages or um, in a reduction in the amount of time it takes employees to get trained on the on the software so whatever it is right um, does everyone agree that that is the most, you know, these are the one or two or maybe three most important uh, measurements of of the user experience success? And so you have to go through that process if you're going to calculate an ROI. You have to decide, you know, what is your indicator uh, and and how would you even begin to measure it? And so I think that level of conversation is really useful. I guess, you know, many of us, and I'm probably included in that, kind of bristle at the idea that we have to uh, justify the work we do by, you know, doing the calculations. But, you know, as I said, putting that aside, it's even just useful to have a conversation and get clear on it. And I don't want to get too much into the details yet, because I just want people to just start thinking about because I do think it's, I know you didn't want to talk about Agile, but I do think it's important because a big part of, there are certain things in the UX process that you don't need to do very often. Like once you have an understanding, for example, of who your users are, that's something you can use again and again and again, regardless of if you're making you know, one landing page here or a search bar there or whatever it is. It's like this, you, you put in the initial investment and then you can reuse it. Whereas a lot of dev projects, right? You hire a quadrillion programmers, they cost a fortune. You, 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 you do a new platform, right? You have a new, it's all going on a new platform that's gonna be better than the old platform. Uh, it works, everyone pats each other on the back, right? And then in two and a half years, someone new is there and they look at the oh this is so this is so bad. We need to like we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna redo it, right? And you do the whole thing over again every like two years. And it's very, very expensive. Whereas Yeah, so what's your question? Well oh. right, so if you had done some of the UX stuff, then maybe then you don't have to start maybe from scratch every two years. Maybe Every two years, it just needs a little bit of an update. Maybe, maybe. But although of, this is, I don't know, that's my. Although thought. from a technical point of view that, you know, you, you do decide to change the platform. There is a better way to do it and you're redoing it all. And I guess that's back to my, you know, okay, is anyone stopping to ask about the ROI of, you know, reprogramming this all in the new platform? But I just want people to think on this, on this, on like a, you know, scale of several uh, you know, several years instead of like yeah. just this year, because because some of some of the stuff that the investment that you put into UX can last for many many years. It can just one or two. Might years. not also. Might you not might have to okay. redo some of the I UX d- when you have a new a new platform too. But here's okay. Here can, can I 
can we actually back back up? Yeah, sure. Can I tell you the first the story of the first time that I realized that dealing with this ROI thing and doing an ROI calculation for you use UX might be an extremely good idea? What? Okay. So uh, I had heard about doing return on investment calculations. I had read a book about ROI for, it was probably for usability because I think it was long enough ago that it was before the UX term was being used. And I had lots of doubts and, you know, didn't think we should have to do that. And I think the other thing that happens, or at least happened for me and other people I knew, we kind of, you know, it was like, well, of course it's important to make it, you know, easy to use and usable and a good experience and all of that. So we didn't want to have to justify it with a calculation. So I had never done an ROI calculation, even though I knew about it and had read a book on it. So then I was doing some consulting work with my client and this was a large let's just say it is a large bank that still exists and I we were doing work on the project and then we were he was talking to me about doing more work and expanding the scope of the project and then he said there's a meeting of of kind of like the VPs and they want us to present you know, what, what we're planning on doing, why it's important, and they want us to share with them an ROI calculation. And I was like, uh. So he wanted me to do an ROI calculation. Now, he didn't know how to do one on, on UX, and I had never done one on UX. So I got, uh, you know, my book out that I'd read and my notes, and I said, okay, I can do this. I'm going to do an ROI calculation, which I did. So I'm, if you would, uh, if you would... Uh, indulge me for a moment. I actually have the, uh, I'm opening it up here. I have the initial ROI calculation. Okay. And let's just say this was before um, this millennial. This millennial? (laughs) This millennium. Okay. So it was in the 1990s. Okay. Okay. All right. So, this was, uh, we were, the project, the product we were working on was software. It wasn't web stuff. It was software for bank tellers, right? Okay. And uh, there were 5,000 users because they were bank tellers all over the place. Uh, the, the, the software product um, that they currently had uh, was really very difficult user experience. It was very hard to learn, hard to use. You know, it was old stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So we assumed, here, here were our assumptions and our key indicators. First of all, we assumed that given the way the software was right now, people were wasting five seconds per transaction. And that they were doing 100 transactions per person per day. So we needed these numbers in order to do the calculation. So what we did was we took 5,000 people times 100 transactions times 5 seconds. Okay. okay? That gives you 2.5 million seconds, which is 41,666 minutes, which is 694 hours. So <laughs> so we calculated yeah. that there were 694 hours being wasted. Uh times um, $7 an hour, because this was 1994, and bank tellers didn't get paid very much then. They probably still don't. But <clears throat> we figured then, because of this wasted time, you were wasting $4,858 a day times 252 days a year. I don't know why we had 252. Oh, because, you know, they're not open weekends and stuff. Uh, and so... We figured that uh, if we fixed this software and made it easier to use, we'd save $1.2 million a year. Yeah. Now, okay, but that's not all, okay? 
We also figured we could take the training, because right now they had people come in for two weeks to learn how to use the software. And they had to, you know, fly them in and spend two weeks. So we figured we'd save at least $1,000 in training costs for every new person. Now, they had a high turnover because this kind of job usually has a high turnover. They had 10% turnover. So that's 500 people a year times $1,000. That's $500,000 per year in training saved. And then we also figured there'd be savings with the help desk. We thought we could reduce the calls by half. We could save 300 calls a month. And it, we knew the cost per call had been calculated at $10. So that was $3,000 a month or $36,000 a year. So when you add that all up, 1.2 million, 500,000, 36,000, et cetera, we came up with 1.760,000 1, savings in the first year. And that the cost to fix it, to make these fixes, would ta- it would take 500000 which I don't even think it did take anywhere near that. But we were trying right. to, you know, be conservative. Yeah. So then you take 1.7, you know, 1760000 minus 500000 divided by 500000 And we could talk about that, you know, how do you get that? Anyway, we came up with an ROI calculation of 252%. Now, when we presented this to the VPs, and I was really nervous and in fact, I didn't believe these numbers because they were so high. Uh-huh. So um, I like recalculated them like five times. And so then I had to get out and present this to these VPs, and I was really nervous because I had never done this. And I, you know, like I, I'm not a finance VP, right? And I'm spouting all these numbers, and they're going to laugh at me. They're going to say that's ridiculous. You know, why'd you pick those numbers? So. I, I, I got up there, I ran through all these numbers and, uh, you know, came up with the savings, $1.2 million savings in the first year. And uh, there was, I was done and there was silence in the room and I'm like, oh no. And then this one woman, this one VP says, okay, three. Yeah. And I said, three, you know, I'm like, what is she saying, three? And I thought, okay, like I have three seconds to get out of the building. (laughs) Two, one. Right. Uh, And she said, well, if we can save, uh, you know, this much money by doing one of these, you know, usability projects, if we we do three, then (laughs) we'll save, you know. Four million dollars, or whatever, you know, three times yeah. one point two, or whatever. And uh, she totally didn't get what <laughs> what what we were going to do with the project. But she was so enamored of it, she wanted three of them. She thought you know, <laughs> saving four million would be even better. And then I had explained, no, no, actually, it doesn't work that way, you know. Yeah. Um, but they just they said, yeah, this looks great. Go do it, you know. When mm-hmm. I had presented the numbers, so that's Which is pretty made, rare, right? Yeah, because normally you go in and you say, you know, we want to spend half a million dollars or even we want to spend, you know, $25,000, right, on this UX project. And, you know, usually people are like, do you have to, right? But in this case, they were like, this is great. Go do it, right? So so that made me really change my mind about ROI calculations. Now, you know, after that, I, I've done many of them. And and what's really important in this, <coughs> then, is to pick, you know, again, that idea of, you know, what are you measuring? I mean, and the one I walked you through, this was internal software. And so, you know, we decided to figure out time saved by the employee and the training and the help desk stuff. But that might not be the what you pick for, you know, your a particular project there's just this you know large uh choices you have in what you pick so you know you could pick reduction in training costs which is what one of the things we picked you could pick savings of users time but here's some other things you might choose instead so you might have um uh reduction of errors you know Maybe that's what's, maybe if you're in a situation where errors are really expensive or 
disastrous, then you want, you know, that's what you want to, you know, do your calculation based on, right? The cost, the cost of each kind of this type of error is this much. And if we, you know, make the experience better, we'll have 30% less of those errors, right? You might do that. The, you know, a real obvious one is the conversion rate, right? How many people, if it's a website or e-commerce site, how many people that that come to the site um, actually make the purchase, right? So that's a real common one. So you, then you might be based on the average order value or um, something like that. Sometimes uh, people, I've had, I had one where the the important measurement was the increase in the number of pages viewed. And that was because they were on this weird kind of advertising model where the more pages that people viewed, the more money they made. Yeah. Um, a decrease in cart abandonment might be one. Um, here's one. Uh, I've done some that were based on um, saving not of the not the user's time, but the development time. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. If we do this work, then development will go faster. So there's all kinds of things that you can measure, but you have to figure out in order to do these calculations, what are we going to measure? And and it has to be something measurable. So, you know, you can't just, if you just say, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to base it on uh, increased user satisfaction. Well, that's fine, but how... How do you measure that? And which is good. I mean, you can come up with ways to measure that, but you have to have something concrete because you got to get to the point where you can put a number on it. Now, I came up with a whole system. Um, yeah. Yeah, which was much more complicated than this. Very complicated. Yeah, that I had remember. Had to do with you calculate uh, risk. You were calculating value risk. based on uh, uh, probability. So, mm -hmm. so if we have uh, a better Let's say we we have a we have a better checkout page. Yeah. It, it conservatively increases the chance that someone completes their checkout by five percent. Yeah. Right? It's a five percent probability increase. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe on the optimal version it's ten percent. Yeah. And maybe on the negative version it's you know on the very conservative it's two percent. Yeah. Uh, we know how many drop offs we have uh, at our conversion page, and so you can take your probability and you multiply it. By the by, you know your actionable items that you already have data for, and you can create real uh, real values on on regular estimates, uh, optimistic and, and pessimistic uh, estimates. Yeah, I like that. We had a whole spreadsheet, it's, as I recall. It appears to be too complicated for most people in the UX <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah, most people don't want to deal through. Well, I get, yeah, and I, I get I, that. Well, like, I came up with this whole thing and. And, uh, and then nobody you've, you've wanted to do it. have given this webinar a couple of times with our friends at, uh, I, I forget. Who, who user Zoom. User, user Zoom. Zoom. Yeah, so we do, we do a webinar with, with User Zoom. And um, it, <laughs> uh, yeah, it basically, um, we, yeah, so we've, we've, done, we've done this webinar a lot. Uh, and, and then sometimes you just run it straight. And one of the earlier ones, I came up with this whole like system and you explained it. It's just, it was too much. Yeah. People didn't want to. So but you know, I'm an economist, and so the way you, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's just that's just that's how. That's the way you do it. That's I the know. way you do it. So um, I want to give. Can I give some more examples? Just yeah. Now, and I, but now before you do, I have another yeah. question. By the way, yeah. I have another question. Okay. What? Um, what's the? Uh, that last example you gave is the best example, and it's a beautiful one. Um, but it was also back in the day when stuff was designed really, really poorly. Yeah. You had less yeah, options. It was much harder to make something look nice. Or, I mean, you know, the interfaces were very clunky. They didn't have the auto sorts and drop down menus and way to organize information that we do today. Um, so it was just not not to say that there that over that the design was better better or worse, but there were just more tools at your disposal to come up with a with a with a system that there are more tools at your disposal today to come up with 
um, a system and software that is relatively easier to use. It was just it was it was easier to do a really really bad job back in the day. And I and I direct you to the millions of Angel Fire uh, websites and MySpace pages that that, yeah. that are now lying in the graveyard of the internet. Yes. Um, so our UX teams, and I specifically asked because right now UX teams are, there are more U- UX teams than ever before and they're doing less UX than ever um, because it's so much of the, the, the development time has been shortened by the agile process that everyone's doing. So are, are there, is there just less low hanging fruit for ROI? You know, like back when you were doing that project, maybe there was a, it was really, and, and, and that said, I'm sure, you know, they're, they're, everyone's competitors had really bad uh, UIs as well. But now that everyone has a UI team, and if you do have a bad UI, your competitor probably has a great UI, um, which is, you know, and so, so it's like, so, it's, so, so is there just less? So, so the effect on the consumer would be less, right? If you're the only one on the block with a great UI, then you're you're going to get all kinds of you know new business and customers and that kind of stuff. Whereas if there's a bunch of competitors, you know maybe the market is used to that and you won't have as big of a bump. So my very long-winded question is: Do you think there's a the the return on UI is going is getting smaller over time overall? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, here's what, and here's what I say. That's fine, but you know, right? It's a balance. It's a balance. I absolutely understand your question. I do, and there was a lot of low-hanging fruit then, but you know, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit now too, and and now I think, in many cases, the stakes are higher. You know, because there's a lot of competition, Um, and it's just, it's just amazing though to me, even though there are. A lot of people now who understand, you know, who there are many more people now who in the world who understand that what usable, you know, that that's a word, that that's a concept, that that user experience is a concept, that it's important to to design for it. Uh, And as you said, there's many, you know, UX teams and people working on on designing products that are more usable and have a better user experience. But there's still, for a variety of reasons, so that's probably another podcast episode, there's still, uh, you know, from a human factors point of view, errors that designers and product owners are making in their products. And so, um, you know, there's still reasons why uh, people abandon shopping carts, and there's still uh, software where there's this one little thing that they hid, and therefore you know people aren't you know are having to redo the task because they did it wrong the first time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it's still there, and there's still need for it, and I think that um, there's still need to sometimes. Uh, to justify what you're doing and why you're doing it and and what you're concentrating on and i do think you know we i I hope that soon we're going to do a podcast episode about some of our new thoughts about agile and ux because we we actually had some interesting conversations and thought about this uh just a couple weeks ago when we were traveling but um i think that there's a lot of pressure on UX teams to really focus and concentrate on what's important to work on. And uh, even in places that have UX teams in place, and even in organizations where there's always you know UX people involved on every project, you, you there's you know you can't work on everything, you can't do everything. You've got to prioritize. So even just doing ROI calculations in order to help you decide where to put your UX resources, either in terms of a particular project or which projects to put it on, or you know what you can even use it. I've used ROI calculations to decide which type of UX work is going to be you know provide the biggest um, impact 
for a particular project mm-hmm. or looking at all the projects we have for the upcoming year, you know, which ones have the biggest ROI bang. Yeah. So I think there's many, many ways you can use this. And as I said, even just the going through the exercise of doing it so that the team comes to agreement on, you know, what's what's the important measurement of success. I had a really interesting uh uh, meeting one time with a client and, and he was the product owner and then he had his team there, right? Which would be, you know, the, some of the developers and, um, UX people and some stakeholders, right? It was, it wasn't a huge group. We had maybe like six people in the room. And so, you know, I asked the question, um, cause he wanted to, to talk about ROI and I asked the question, you know, what's the, What's the key indicator? What's the important measure of success for this product? And uh, he looked at his team, and his team looked back at him, and <laughs> you know, no one could answer the question. No one could answer the question. And and that does, and sometimes they're I, weird. And yeah, and I think that's really common though, because you know, often what happens, uh, you're on the team, and you know, you're given the pro. Here's the project we're working on, but it's not like anybody necessarily yeah. said to you, and here's why we're doing it, <laughs> and here's, you know, here's what we really hope to improve. I mean, sometimes that conversation never happens, and and uh, and ROI will force that. Anyway, I'm going to give you a couple more examples. And well, and, and I just want to say, and sometimes you don't have the necessary, you know, you don't you don't have all. It it works best when you're a large bank company and you have. A, th- a billion data points and well and i want to talk about that actually i do want to talk about that i want to talk about about what do you do you know how do you get the data you know even if you all came to agreement right yeah. okay we're going to base our calculation on these indicators you know how do you get the data and 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 how do you make these uh, um assumptions about you know how many users and all of that so uh I want to talk about that in a minute, but first let me give, I'm going to give you a couple more examples, okay? Okay. So here was an ROI calculation we did. This is for a, um, a large online e-commerce retailer. Okay. So uh, they did have data on uh, shopping cart abandonment. And uh, the, you got to believe me, this is a large e-commerce <laughs> retailer. So they had... 10,000 abandonments each day okay of the shopping cart yeah uh their average purchase was 36 dollars okay so 36 times 10,000 right yeah so there was a potential loss then of 360,000 dollars each day um so they wanted to do, the decision was to do user testing to figure out the problem. Why, why are there these abandonments? And then do the rework to fix the problem. And we estimated that was going to cost 75000 Now, we also assumed we weren't going to reduce the abandonment 100%. Because some, you know, people are abandoning not just because there's a problem. A, a user experience problem with the shopping cart, right? Yeah. People are abandoning because they decided not to buy it or they looked they somewhere looking. else for a better price or whatever, right? right? Yeah. So we figured we would we would, we would um, see if we could reduce the abandonment by 25%. So we were going to, we figured the usability issue would take away a quarter of the abandonments. Okay. So 2,500 people a day, sure. because 10,000 were abandoning, so 25%, 2,500 people a day, average of $36, $90,000 a day. Yeah. Times 365 days, because it's an online retailer, they're open every day. So they would save $32 million a year. It's a lot of money. It's a, when, you, <laughs> when you can scale, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So they would, we would spend 75000 and they would save 32 million, you know? Yes. Yeah, so you get, I mean, these are huge numbers. And I, uh, you know, I always feel like the disclaimer, like, you know, your numbers may vary, right? Because you're only going to get large numbers like that when, um, you know, when you have, 
you know, a lot of people doing something or when it's worth a lot of money. And sometimes we don't have, you know, that, that much. The numbers aren't like that. I'm going to look here in my examples and see if I have, I think I have one that's a little, maybe a little bit. No, I guess I don't. I mean, you, so you might have one, you know, where, you know, you have a thousand or, or users, or maybe you're going to save a hundred abandonments, right? And each abandonment is worth $10. And it's, and actually this is important because there are times, there are times when it's like, okay, given our numbers, it's not worth it to spend $75,000 to fix this, you know, because we're, we're only going to make, you know, $2,000 a year. So that's the other reason I think it's useful to kind of do the, the ROIs. And it's, right. I mean, so, okay. Uh, yeah. Did you have another thought? I have more questions. Well, I wanted to talk about this, this, this issue of where do we get the data and how do we make assumptions and. Do you want you want to ask a question? No, go or ahead. Do you want me to talk about go that? Go ahead. Yeah. So sometimes people will say to me, "Okay, I don't have this data. You know, I don't have data on um, how you know how do you know you're going to reduce abandonment by twenty five percent instead of ten percent or seventy percent? You know, how do you make that decision? How do you how can you even know that?" Uh, or, you know, I, you know, where are you getting the data about the average purchase, right? So when you do these calculations, there are a lot of data. There's a lot of assumptions and there's a lot of numbers and there's a lot of decisions you have to make mm-hmm. as you're going through, um, like the one I, the, where I started with the bank teller, you know, there was just a lot of decisions about, uh, you know, how, how much does training cost and all of that. So, um, and here's just one little um, idea. If you make an assumption like, okay, let's assume that blah, 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 write it down. I cannot tell you how many times I'd be working on one of these and we'd make an assumption and no one would write it down. And then 20 minutes later, it'd be like, wait, what was the number of, you know, and then we had to backtrack and redo it. So I, I have filled up like whiteboards in, in office conference rooms with these calculations. So every time you make a data assumption, you know, write it down so that it's clear. Okay, we're assuming that. Um, if you have, if there is actual data, use the actual data. If you think you have current data, but you're not sure, go ahead and do a draft calculation, but then go check to see if your data is accurate and then change the data, the calculations if you need to. If there's something in here that you just don't have, like, like, I don't know how, you know, we don't have data on how much of the abandonment is from user experience versus something else. You know, we just don't have it. We're going to have to make an assumption then just note that this this is an assumption. It doesn't come from actual data. And then the other thing I think is critical, be really conservative with all those assumptions. So if you think that actually the, you'll be able to save 50% of the abandonment, don't, don't choose 50, choose 25. I was just reading a very interesting um, behavioral economics uh, study for my, the research that I'm doing. Yeah. And it was essentially all about, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was basically why people make, uh, if you look at like building projects, right? Yeah. People are, <laughs> why they, they're, oh, they always make optimistic. Yeah. yeah. They always yeah. make very optimistic. Uh, that's right. And so I, the other reason I always make, um, you know, very pessimistic, very, you know, uh, low assumptions and ROI calculations is if I do encounter resistance, right? You know, we come up with this crazy number, like 32 million, right? Um, you want it, you know, you have to, if you haven't been conservative with your numbers, someone's going to jump on that, you know, and say, well, there's no way you're going to get 50%. So, 
I always try and be really, really conservative because it's like, well, do you think we'd get at least 25? Well, okay, you know, whatever the number is, you think they'd say, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, probably that's true. The other thing that I think is very important, if you're presenting an ROI calculation, is you've got to walk through all of the numbers. Now, you're not going to walk through everything you did because you probably spent hours, um, but you have to walk through, you know, okay, so... You know, there are 10,000 abandonments and the average purchase is this. And because if you just walk in and say, we're going to save 32 million a year, you know, they're just going to say, no, you're not. Yeah. Right. They're just going to say, no, you're not. So if you just if you walk through it and say, you know, so we're, we've assumed or we have data that there are 10,000 abandonments, and you just walk through each data point. So if they don't if they can't argue with that data point and they can't argue with that one and they can't argue with that one and they can't argue with that one, then when you get to the end, they can't argue with the number, right? Because right. they they understand where all the data or assumptions come from. Um, so I think that's important too. All right, now you had questions? Oh, yeah, questions, questions, questions. Do you have questions? Questions, I did have questions. Yeah, I remember my questions. So um, the question had to do with, with the idea that right now uh, you like 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 this is this is a good tool perhaps yeah to give to that it's I think it's popular because UX teams are feeling the squeeze these days yeah and I think they perhaps rightfully feel that there's no place for them that basically they're just, uh, they don't have you know they think they have value and maybe someone higher up thinks they have value but you know everyone's just like uh, whatever yeah you know um so what what's the what's what's the move <laughs> in the move you know like like what 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 can someone in a ux team do with this with, yeah. with some calculations to perhaps convince a higher up that hey no guys listen this is this is super cool i swear or even not a higher up i mean maybe just convince you know other people on the team sure well that's what i mean i i would say i would say you know pick pick a project Pick a particular, you know, UX um, technique that you that you want to do, whatever that is. You know, we want to do a user test, or we want to do a redesign, or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, and walk through, you know, the process. Figure out what's what's the measurement of success. What's the current data or current assumptions on that? If we did this UX work. Uh, how would that improve it? You know, just walk through an example one and share that um, with the team and try it out. I, I think you just you just got to try it out and, and start to get used to it. I have, um, by the way, um, uh, uh, 10 mistakes, myths, and misconceptions oh. that people have about ROI. Um, should we talk? Should I go through the ten? Let's let's do let's do it. All right, we've we've kind of talked about some of these already. One um, ah ah ah. <laughs> one is that there's an ROI formula. I mean, I often people say, okay, so you're going to give us the ROI formula. Like there's a formula, like E equals M C squared. Well, there is, there is a formula. Well, there is a formula. It's like benefit. It's like benefit. Uh, times times so like benefit per something times aggregate benefit well the, i mean the roi formula it's like is, just so broad i uh, yeah is like net profit divided by the investment which is net profit well, i'm um, talking econ terms you're talking business oh terms. yeah i'm talking anyway but it's not as though there's one formula that is what you use and you just plug your numbers into the one formula. I mean, you have to decide what your formula is. You have to, yeah. So there's not just one formula. It's not E equals MC squared and you go find the E and you go find the M and then you're, and you're done. All right, uh, that's one. Another mistake I've seen people make is they use the metric that they have the data on. Yeah. 
It's like, well, we have data on this. Let's use that. But if that's not the important measurement, <laughs> don't use it. You know, go find the data that's on the important, you know, it's like, well, we're not really that interested in time saved by users. <laughs> that's not important. But we have that data. So well, let's use that. I think that's hard, though. It's hard for you can't just whisk data out of thin air, especially if it's not reliable. Well, OK, which is the next one. Number yeah. three, which is if we don't have actual data, then we shouldn't do the calculation. Okay. I, I don't agree with that. If you don't actually have hard data on the thing that's important to you, of course, you could ask, if this is so important to us, why don't we have hard data on it? But if you don't have hard data on it, um, then then tr make a good assumption. Just You're going to have to make a guess, and then you can always measure later and see if you were right about it. Yeah. But you, there are assumptions you have to make. All right, here's number four uh, mistake. It's only worth it if the numbers we come up with are in the millions. Right. You know, like it's only worth it to do this calculation if we, you know, if it's going to come up that we're going to save $32 million. No, that's not true. You know, if you're looking at spending $25,000 to do some kind of user test, um, you know, it, it might be worth it to find out that you'll, by spending the 25000 you'll save 150000 or you'll make 200000 more. I mean, that's still useful, even though it's not in the millions. Mm -hmm. Okay, number five, we've mentioned before, fail, failing to document your assumptions. That's, that's a problem. Uh, number six, if we aren't sure we can measure it afterwards, you know, actually measure the change in the abandon rate, then we shouldn't even bother. It's like, well, it's, it'd be good if you can actually do the measurement and actually show that you saved, you know, abandonment. But even if you're not sure that you can do whatever measurement is, it doesn't mean it's not worth it to go through the ROI calculation process. Right. It still might be a worthwhile uh, thing to do. Okay. Number seven, uh, you need just one metric. Like you have to, you know, we have to decide. The, the metric is cart abandonment or amount of development time saved or you know we have to pick just one right uh you can have more than one or number eight the opposite problem you need like five metrics you don't know you you need you know one two or three of the ones that are the most important for you uh number nine failing to get input on this from your key stakeholders Always so need those key stakeholders. You do. So whoever that, you know, what is a key stakeholder? What it, You're going to present these your numbers to somebody or, you know, a group of somebodies. Yeah. It might be your team. It might be your boss. It might be, you know, somebody. Whoever it is, you need to get input from them before you do the calculation about these assumptions, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we're doing this calculation, and we're going to assume that, or we're doing this calculation, and the important metric we think is, and get input from them ahead of time. You don't want to wait until, you know, you go in and present, and then find, although I've done that. I've, you know, like with that example I gave you with the VPs at the bank, we actually didn't have input from them, and that's a risk, right? So it's always better to get input from them. And then number 10, uh, mistakes, myths, and misconceptions is I'm not good at math. This is too hard, so I'm not going to do it. So, because yeah. I, I, I mean, really, people, there are a lot of people out there, and you're not one of them, Guthrie, uh, and I'm not really one of them either, that uh, really don't like math and get anxious about anything that has to do with the formula, and so they don't want to do it. And so I would say, you know, try to get over that or involve someone in the calculation who likes math. Because it really, it, it isn't that hard. It really is pretty much basic math. You can use a calculator. Uh, you don't have to do it longhand or in your head. And, um, you know, I, I think it's worth it to, to get past that. So, so there you go. That's uh, the mistakes, myths, and misconceptions about doing ROI. I like it. So I really think it's worth it to... Um, you know, try it out. Pick a simple project and one key indicator for your first one and uh, and kind of go through and see what you come up with with the calculations. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yes. That's pretty cool. And 
and then, you know, you can have justification for um, all your UX work. Uh, all your UX work. Yeah. And if you really get stuck, well, some of your UX work, whatever you want to do the calculation on. If you get stuck, you know, I always tell people this, you know, we are available, right, uh-huh. for consulting or workshops. We'll come in and do a do a session with your team and help you work through these you know the calculations and the assumptions and all that so you don't have to do it alone and we could even maybe use one of your fancy uh probability calculators Kathy. i think i think everyone should use one of one of the, my <laughs> probability calculators <laughs> well we may have to uh i don't think we can just post them because i think they take explanation mm. maybe we should work on the ux of your ROI calculator. I guess so. <laughs> hey, we could calculate the ROI of working on the UX of your ROI. Okay, I've gone that's, far enough that's, on that. Yeah, that is, uh, that's quite complicated there. All right, there you have it. And uh, if anyone wants more information, let us know. Any other more questions for me? Fountain of ROI information. No, I think that's good. Um. Guthrie, where can people reach us if they want to reach us about this or anything else? Uh, info at dteamw.com. Yeah. Uh, what are uh, What are you up to? What's What's on the these days? You mean? Yeah. What's the What's the hot scoop? Uh, I'm going on vacation for a week. Yeah. Right, right after this podcast is <laughs> right after we stop doing this podcast episode. I, I'm going on vacation. I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, because I live in the U.S. and not Sweden, uh, I don't have a mandatory five weeks of vacation. Yeah. Also, I have my own business, so I tend to work all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I'm actually going to take a week of vacation, and I'm going to um, go uh, sing jazz at a wonderful uh, jazz camp for adults that I like to go to. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. That's what I'm up to. And then when I, when I get back from that, we are, um, as you know, we're doing some, uh, continuing to do some updates on uh, some of our online training. So we've got new versions of online training coming out, and we're actually then going to work on some new online training, which is always exciting. So that's what I'm working on. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very cool. All right. Thanks, Guthrie. Thanks, everybody. All right. I will talk to you all uh, later. And uh, thank you for the uh, information ROI. You're very welcome. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.